In episode 19 of MobyCast, Chris leads part two of a discussion about securing containerized deployments. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey. Hey, Rich. Hi, John. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. All right. What have you been up to this week, Rich? So tomorrow I leave for vacation. Uh, so the last week has been just finishing up some stuff for the first time in probably my career. I actually planned accordingly and don't have a whole bunch of stuff happening next week. So it's been really calm, which is unusual the week before. Um, and I'm just waiting for that one thing to come up that I forgot about. So as of now, everything's going real good. Tomorrow I'll be on a plane to Jersey and then I'll be at the beach um, at my aunt's beach house for for seven days. So looking forward to that. That sounds great. Do you just relax by the beach or do you, do you have any activities you do? I mean, I, I don't really ever turn off. So I typically will listen to podcasts, read business books and have my, my notebook out for brainstorming. <laughs> sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Um, yeah, this, uh, kind of business as usual, I think for me, no traveling. Um, and, uh, just, uh, doing the, doing the usual, nothing, just normal, normal day-to-day stuff. Well then I have an assignment for you by next week. You need to do something incredible to tell us about, uh, <laughs> as for me, I've been just kind of watching the fire situation here in Eagle. It's, um, you know, it's up here in the mountains of Colorado and, uh, about 20 miles away, there's a big fire that they, they've they called in hundreds of firefighters from places as far flung as Idaho and big tankers that dropped the red stuff all over the ground the last couple of days. And the smoke is in the air. And it's, it's close enough where we've had ash fall on our porch. So not great. Not ideal. It's been too hot and dry and windy this summer, more than usual. Hopefully everybody just lays off the fireworks because this is this, this will come out in a couple of weeks, but this this is recorded during Fourth of July week. Hopefully, everyone lays off the fireworks and lays off smoking in the out of doors and flicking cigarettes out of their cars and things like that, uh, so we don't have any more fires. Um, anyway, last week we talked about uh, securing containerized Docker deployments or containerized deployments, and as we expected, security is one of those things that you can talk about for a long time so we cut it off after about 20 minutes and we had gotten through two of six phases of the development life cycle that uh chris had learned about during one of the breakout sessions at DockerCon, and um it was just such interesting information that i think we should just continue this week and talk about the next four uh hopefully we'll get through all four but if not um security is important so we'll keep talking about it until we get through it so chris what what's maybe maybe recap just in in a few sentences and in, in under a minute if you can the first two so that people can remember and then we'll jump into number three but we don't need to get into the details of, of the who what where when and how of the first two just remind us what they were sure yeah you bet so um again this was a talk about trying to match up um software development life cycle to each one of those phases to what you can do from a security standpoint in each one. Um, so they talked about six different phases. The first two that we talked about last week, um, 
was the first phase was code. Um, so what you can do there as you're developing the code. And then after that, we went into, um, testing phase and what you can do during, during, as you, as you test that code before it's then goes on to, to the, to the future stages. So I think that brings us to, to, uh, the third step in that process, which is building, um, their actual code. So this is where, uh, typically, um, Code has been done. Uh, you've now tested, verified it. You now need to build your artifacts, and, and what can you do during that that phase of the process? And um, the the big thing that uh, you can do during this phase is scan is scanning um, of your of your artifacts to to look for any kind of known vulnerabilities, um, and then also kind of make sure that you are in compliance. Um, as well with any particular um, standards that that you may be um, needing to develop against, for example, like PCI compliance was one of the one of the examples that they brought up. That for to be PCI compliant, you need critical security patches must be installed within a within a month of release. Um, so this is something you can definitely do as you build your artifacts. Um, point have have your artifacts scanned. Um, by these various services that are out there. And there's, there's quite a few of them out that are available, um, have them scanned. And, and that's just one more, one more way that you can just verify the integrity and the security of the, of the code that you're building. And Chris, this framing and breakdown of how to do security during the development lifecycle is not original thought by Kelsa. So do you happen to have just available like who it was that gave this talk and what the name of the talk was just for just for people listening so that we can attribute it correctly mm-hmm. sure so yeah this is this is a breakout session again at DockerCon 2018 it was titled don't have a meltdown six practical tips for securing your container-based deployment um, uh-huh. and two speakers were justin cormack who's an engineer at docker and liz rice a technology evangelist at aqua security great thank you so yeah, what's uh, what's number three? Where did they go next? Right. So, um, and so that was that was that was phase three. Um, uh, Oops. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, security is is important, but sometimes can be can be maybe boring um, and easy to get uh, lose track of. But uh, just to mention, too, some of the security tools out there, the scanning tools that you can use. Um, obviously, Docker itself. Um, has their own uh, Docker Trusted Registry um, feature that's part of Docker EE. Um, and that will do scanning of your images as you push them up to your um, to your Docker Hub repo. Um, there's also some open source tools like Microscanner, which is actually um, uh, an open source tool that comes from Aqua Security, which Liz Rice, uh, one of the speakers, works for. Um, so that's something to check out. Um, there's also another one called Claire. Um, that's also open source as well. So, again, lots of great tools out there for doing this stuff. Really, no reason not 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 to do it. Um, so, encourage everyone to get out there and and uh, check those out. Yeah. So, moving on, um, the next phase um, they broke it out as um, they called it, uh, basically the um, runtime environment host, uh, if you will. So, basically, thinking about the actual machines that you're going to be running your your containers on. Um, so what can you do there from a, from a security standpoint and the, and, uh, and Chris, I always like to, since we're, since we're sort of fans here of AWS and ECS, I, I like to bring it back to something that we think about. So in this case, this would be EC2 instances in, in an ECS cluster, 
right? Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's whatever virtual machine or bare metal, whatever it is, that's actually running. You're, you're running your code on, um, in our case being that it's, it's containers. So it's wherever you're running Docker and, and, um, that engine's running, how do you harden that actual uh, host? Um, and so really the, the principle here is just, you want to reduce your, your attack surface and, you know, basically just don't make it easy, um, for anyone that, um, might be trying to, to gain access into your system. They, they did talk about some of the issues of, um, host versus container vulnerabilities. Um, so basically, um, files in the, in the container versus files in the, in the host itself and what ramifications that has there. Um, there are some pretty, uh, important considerations on just like the, the host configuration, um, and how you set that up, um, for, for running your, your, your Docker containers. Some of this stuff is, is not too, is, is not as, um, applicable, um, to folks, if you, especially if you're running, um, something like, uh, like like we do uh, ECS inside Amazon, some of this stuff is kind of taken care of for us. But I think nevertheless, the the over overarching theme here is to minimize your attack surface. So I wanted to talk about that word attack surface because I think that's that's a bit jargony and, and it's something that um, unless you really understand what it means, it doesn't put a picture in your head. So I guess. I'll try. I'll try my best to de- to define it. So, if you imagined um, your running thing being like a, a shape out there in internet land, um, some parts of that shape are visible to the rest of the internet, and some parts of it are hidden from the rest of the internet. And it's that those parts that the rest of the internet can see. Maybe it's open ports. Maybe it's machines that have IP addresses that are public. Maybe it's um, some other things that are visible because of, uh, you know, random security vulnerabilities in software, such as uh, software that reaches out and, and creates um, reverse proxy uh, to some machine out there in the public. Um, so it's things like that, things that are visible to the rest of the Internet that would be your attack surface. Uh, is that a decent description of it? Is there anything I left out? No, it's, it's, it's definitely... Um you know, very, uh, very uh, good overall description. I think like in this particular case, what mostly what probably they were focused on is just, um, attack service basically means software. So the more software you have running on your host, the broader the attack surface is and the more ways, potential ways someone has to get, to gain access to, to find a hole, to get into it. Right. So, um, and typically that relates to a lot of the stuff that you were talking about. So ports, they're opened usually by, by software. They're, they're needed by various pieces of software and whatnot. So, you know, the, again, the over, the, the theme here is only have software installed on that host that you actually are using and need. So a lot of times we'll err on the side of being, of convenience for us. And so we'll kind of use a full featured, uh, image or AMI that um, just contains kind of like all the software we need and then some, right? So it's just all right there out of the box. Um, and while that's really convenient um, and, and makes life easier for us as, as DevOps folks, it, it also means that there's a lot of stuff running on there that 
we may not even know about um, or how how to configure it properly. And and maybe it does pose a security risk. So Chris, can you give uh, examples of a few things that might be convenient to have on a host that uh, maybe shouldn't be on a running host? I was thinking like maybe compilers. Um, not sure. Uh, various I, networking tools. Yeah. I think that's kind of where it boils down to is just the most, it's, it's going to be like services that are running um, that, are, are listening for requests that represent a way to kind of, kind of get in. Um, so, uh, yeah, network protocol demons, um, it just could be things like as something as, as simple as like a, um, DNS service, or it could be, um, you know, NTP or I just, there's, there's various, it could be a, um, kind of like a, um, a software package updating service type thing that's just comes as a convenience from, from some other distro or something like that. So I think just anything that kind of poses a potential door into the system, uh, is something to be, to be kind of concerned with for sure. And then once someone is in the system, then, then you start then you have to worry about those other things that maybe don't, don't, don't listen. It's like a compiler, but maybe having a compiler on there um, or some other tool like that then gives additional um, capabilities that um, makes it easier for someone to, to cause mayhem. Right. Right. And, you know, we're diving into this a little bit, uh, despite the fact that you said, you know, maybe this isn't that important if you're using a service like ECS or EKS or Google's uh, managed Kubernetes, um, it's true that it's not that important when you're using those because they, the engineers that created those services on those cloud engines thought about this stuff in advance for you. But I guess, you know, the thing that's coming to my mind is that if you're talking to, you know, a CSO, a chief security officer, or you're talking to um, a client that's concerned about security and they start asking hard questions about what you're doing to make sure that things are secure, or even if you're, you know, responding to an RFP and you're talking about all the things that in, in your software that you're going to do for security, it's nice to be able to say, these are the things that we're thinking about. And one of the things we're thinking about is host security. And these are the types of th- systems that we're not going to be running on our hosts in production. And the reason why is because we're reducing our attack surface area. And that, you know, makes you sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> you got to sound smart in this business. <laughs> And, well, I mean, there's absolutely there's there's so much to keep on top of, right? And we we talked right. about this in previous previous podcasts as well. So, um, so yeah, so e- even if you don't have to do all the work, you should at least be aware of kind of like what the requirements are to, to play the game, right? And exactly. to be able to talk about that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and so as part of this step as well, this phase as well, they kind of pointed out there's there's various um, again tools and and and. Uh, benchmarks out there that will, um, uh, help you, uh, you know, have better insight into just how, how well you are, how, how secure you are from a, from a host standpoint. Um, so there is, um, there's a, a, a CIS Docker community edition bench community edition benchmark, um, that you can go and point at your, at your installation and see how it's doing against this, um, uh, so CIS is Center for Internet Security. So again, they they published a benchmark for the Docker CE edition, and uh, 
that's something that you can run against your host to see how you do. Um, there's also one for uh, Kubernetes. Um, and pretty soon it looks like they'll have one for Docker EE and then also um, Windows host um, operating systems as well. So um, that makes me laugh that um, CIS has, has something available for, uh, for Docker CE, but not for Docker EE. And yet Docker EE is the one that maybe big enterprises would be more ready to trust. It's just funny. Uh, but go ahead. Is, I, su- I suspect that, again, it might be like surface area type thing that it's so much right. easier. But I mean, it's, it's Docker CE is so much smaller um, mm-hmm. and so much so, so fewer parts. And, and also it's been out there for the longest time as well versus Docker EE is, is pretty changing pretty, pretty rapidly. At least that's where most of the, the innovation that Docker is doing now is, is going into the energy. So that it may be that Docker is kind of doing more of the work there um, to get right. that benchmark in place than it is the CIS. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny just because the types of companies that would be most interested in, in an enterprise edition are the types of companies that have actual CSOs, chief security officers that, um, you know, think about this stuff sort of 24 seven and have whole teams that work on this stuff. Indeed. Hey, this is rich. You might recognize me as the guy who introduces the show, but is pretty much silent during the meat of the podcast. The truth is, these topics are oftentimes incredibly complex, and I'm just too inexperienced to provide much value. What you might not know is that John and Chris created the training product to help developers of all skill sets get caught up to speed on AWS and Docker. If you're like me and feel underwater in these conversations, head on over to ProDockerTraining.com and get on the mailing list for the inaugural course. Okay, let's dive back in. So is there anything else in this in this phase of, of building or, or is it just those those tools that are available to take a look at your surface area to make sure that you're not running um, things on your host that you shouldn't be? Yeah, I think that, that about sums it up for this. So again, minimize your attack surface area, um, take advantage of some of the benchmarks that are out there for kind of evaluating um, just how you're doing in that regard and um, just, again, minimal amount of software. Great. Then moving on, what do we have next? Right. So that brings us to, to phase five, which is the, the run phase. So now we've, we've coded our, our we've, we've done our coding, we've done our testing, we've built it. Uh, we've now hardened the host on which it's going to run on. And so now it's time to run it. So um, here the, 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 the theme was you know, least privilege. So you only you want to give the least amount of privilege to your code that it needs in order to run. Um, so definitely err on being um, conservative um, as opposed to, you know, running as root per se. Um, so again, this, this kind of comes back to the, everyone knows that this is best practice. Like this is what you should do. Um, it does make life more difficult um, for folks um, as, as DevOps um, to, kind of um, employ this principle. So it's one of those things where um, I think in, in practice, it doesn't, it doesn't get um, implemented as rigorously as it should. And we all kind of know that. Um, And that's that's maybe it's a little bit of a kind of a dirty secret, but this is definitely one of those things where, Hey, you you really should just, just roll up the sleeves and and do the extra work and and deal with some of that additional inconvenience because it's just, it's so important from a, from a security standpoint. Right. So they gave a lot of examples here of just like, what are, what are some of the, 
the things that, that um, maybe typically happens that kind of are examples of, of having more privilege than you need or kind of exposing holes um, with your runtime environment. Um, one of those would be uh, bind mounts. So, so this is, I think we've, we've, we've talked about this a few times on previous episodes with um, Docker being able to share file system access between the host and the container itself through volume mounts. Um, and we've talked about how that, this is definitely one of those things that it starts um, tampering with that purity of container isolation because uh, you're now opening up that, um, basically poking a bubble inside that, that, um, that isolation container. Right. And there's, there's thing there, there's, there's perhaps some subtle things that can happen that, um, you're not, uh, you might not be aware that could happen. So one example they gave was like, if you did a volume mount, um, and you mounted the, um, slash Etsy directory, um, from your container to your host, um, by default, you know, your Docker container is going to run as root. And so when inside the container, if you do like run the, the command user add to create a new user from inside the container, what will happen is the user will actually be created on the host as well. Right. right. And this is because it's, it's just, met, it's just going in and in, in modifying the slash Etsy users. I believe it's the slash Etsy users file. Yes. Um, to add that to add that user to it, right? So because we now have the volume mount, it's that's where it gets written to um, okay. is on that. So now not only do you have a new user inside your container, but it's actually on your host as well, right? And that's obviously um, <laughs> you know a really big uh oh um, uh oh moment. So so definitely be very very careful with your bind mounts. You want to min- very much minimize the area of the file system on the host that you're allowing them to have access to. That's super interesting. I love that example. And and you know I don't know anybody that spent a lot of time working with computers that hasn't kind of fallen back on me. Ah, I don't understand that compiler error or that run error. Let me just try again as root. Ah, look, it went away. Like. It's probably not the best way of doing things, but it sure is a common practice. Yeah, so related to that, um, also recommended that um, in your Docker files, set a user. Um, so actually switch from the default root to, to run a named user that has the appropriate level of permissions. Again, pretty much known best practice. We, we all know we should do it. Um, the the bigger, more popular images um, will do this. So, like the Node.js images, um, you know, I'm sure Postgres, and I mean, all, you know, all the big ones that are, that have a lot of um, activity behind them, they do this as best practice. But when it comes to actually building custom software and building your own images with Docker files, I, I don't see a lot of people. Uh, taking advantage of this and doing this and, and even really understanding what's going on. Right. Yeah, like, actually help, help me understand this because I would, I was thinking while you were talking about this, that, you know, containers don't really know anything about their host system. So how can a container tell the host to don't run me as root? Like it shouldn't even know anything about its host. So who, how would it have any control over how it's run? Well, this is the, the user context inside the container when it's running. Ah, I got it. So the containers, own what it's running its own stuff as mm-hmm. it right your, okay got it mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. in, instead of so by by default it needs a user right so um 
by default, it's going to be root um, if you don't specify something otherwise. And got it, got it. All right. So then the running of the containers themselves is also should not probably happen as root, but it is likely that it's happening as, you know, whatever user you are or your runtime, you know, scripts run as. So if you're running, for example, on your local host, it's going to probably run under your containers are going to run under your own account, most likely. But if you're running in, I don't know, some EC2 instance, you'll be running as some user you've created. Um, do you know, do you know, uh, whether, for example, ECS creates a special user, like an ECS user on its EC2 instances? Yeah. And so I, I think the, the, the way it works is it's the Docker, it's, it's the Docker image that is instantiating the containers, right? So you command, so say you're kicking out, you're, you're running the Docker image and you're using a command line. So you're doing Docker run or whatnot. So that's right. sending a, a command to the, to the Docker server, the Docker server is running, it's running, right? Like, um, and that's running on a particular user context. Um, there, I, I believe there may be a way to configure the Docker server engine to let it know how, under what context to run these things. Um, it may very well be, be root. I'm, that's a, it's a, it's an open question for like, the details on that. I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, but, uh, with, with, with ECS, um, you know, it's, it, at the end of the day, again, it, it's running the, the, um, the core Docker engine, um, same, you know, obviously client server model. It has an agent that runs on there as well. Um, it also has the, the ECS optimized, um, AMI that packages all that up, um, which is based upon Amazon Linux as well. And, uh, but so I, that, it that does was, not, Chris, that was so subtle that I just need to really clarify it. So you, you did a very gentle job of correcting me. I said, um, you're running on your local host. You're at stay. I'm running as John C. Um, and I type Docker run. What you just said tells me, no, my, my, my container is not going to be running as a process on my machine owned by John C. It's going to be running as a process on my machine owned by whatever the Docker server is configured to run Docker containers as is correct. That, yeah, because right. that that's what's actually creating that job, right? It's okay. the Docker server. Okay, so there there will be a short process that is owned by John C that says, "Hey, Docker server, do something," and then mm-hmm. Docker server is going to go run yes. as whoever it should. Okay, yeah. cool. That's I did not know that. Very cool. Yeah, and then maybe to wrap up this section, um, you know, another there there is the the dash dash privileged flag. Um, that you can give to Docker when you're running a container. Um, so, uh, you know, the recommendation there is like, unless you really need it, don't do that. Um, but you know, that again, this may be one of those situations where like, you know, someone is trying to get something to work and like, they find out like, Oh, I can't do this because of permissions and search online stack overflow or something like that. And it's like, Oh, I just had this dash dash privileged. Um, and boom, it works. And now I'm happy. <laughs> uh, right. But it's, it's kind of important to understand the, the, the full ramifications of that. It may have been like all you read you need to do was like give access to a certain directory or something like that, um, to a user. Sure. Um, but instead you've now, you know, opened yourself up to so much more than that. So again, least privilege. Great. Um, yeah, well, let's wrap it up there. Uh, again, 
just so much stuff to talk about in terms of security. And uh, I think we've hit on, and, and, you know, I think the thing that I love about this conversation is that it's not about, it's not just about, Oh, you've got software running. How are you going to secure it? It's about how are you going to do security from beginning to end from all the way through your design and development and testing and build and run pieces of your software development life cycle. So thank you very much, Chris. And thanks for joining us, Rich. Have a good week. Thanks guys. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash one nine. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.